been preaching in Zechariah chapter 4 last week in Zechariah 3. It was a vision of Joshua the high priest. He's the He's the spiritual leader of Israel. Joshua was... Now, don't confuse Joshua in the Old Testament with Moses and the, and the leader after Moses. This is Joshua the high priest. This is in the time of, of Zerubbabel, and, and, and um, this is the time of Nehemiah and Ezra. This is later. This is right before the New Testament, really, in, in a chronological order. Uh, Nehemiah would be the, 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 the really one of the oldest or newest Old Testament book, right before Matthew's Gospel. Uh, there was 400 years of silence. But this is during the time of Jerusalem being rebuilt, the walls, the, the temple. And so the main character of chapter 3 is, of course, Joshua the high priest. He represents the spiritual state of Israel. And uh, according to chapter 3 in this vision, this fourth vision, Joshua is standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan is on the right hand. The Bible says Satan is accusing Joshua. And he had every right to accuse Joshua. Joshua's garments, the Bible says, was filthy. And it was tainted. It was filthy, uh, corrupt. And it was uh, uh, just uh, not worthy to be in the angel of the Lord, in the presence of the Lord. And yet... What, what Satan is saying to God is true about Israel and about uh, Joshua. And often what Satan says to God in an accusation toward us is often true. It's what Satan says to us about God that's a lie. And so we got to understand that he is, the, he is the father of lies. So in chapter 3, this vision is, is the angel of the Lord. He is rebuking that Satan, and then he, he takes Joshua in his garment and he changes his garment. He gives him a new garment. And then he commissions Joshua and he says, Joshua, I'm going to keep you in that priestly state and you have a job to do. You have a work to do. And uh, of course, that was some prophetic in the new millennium and all that, uh, that, uh, that Christ will reign. And we, we know what Israel's role in that is. Well, we come to chapter 4. And there's another vision. It's the fifth vision. It's the vision of the golden lampstand. It's, it's a very significant role. Let me say this about my messages in Zechariah. If you have missed some of the messages, you can go back to the Bible Baptist Church. Um, I think it's called BBC Simpsonville YouTube. You can watch them. You can go to Facebook and you can watch them. You can download Sermon Audio and you can go back for years and listen to messages, but especially here lately with uh, Zechariah. And you, so if you miss it, uh, it's not too late. You can go and get caught up. I think we're only in our sixth message in uh, the book of Zechariah. So I want you to, to stay tuned this morning. I don't want you to, if, unless it's an emergency, I want you to stay tuned. I want you to listen. Because if I have preached an important message, all messages from the Lord, all messages from the Word of God is a very important. But this one would be ultra important. It would be something that we need for this day and hour. Now, all the Bible was not written to us, but all the Bible was written for us. Can I get an amen? So we have application even in a book, Zechariah. I've been asking some of our church members, have you ever heard a message out of Zechariah before uh, this week, or, or this month rather, or the last few messages? A lot of our church, I was shocked. They've heard maybe references pulled from Zechariah, and, and I'll, I'll say one today that's probably pretty uh, uh, infamous uh, passage of Scripture, but a lot of people have never heard a, a contextual, biblical, expository message out of the book of Zechariah. I was challenged. We, we had just concluded John. It took us almost two years to preach through the gospel of John, and I love that. I, I praise the Lord for what God did in our hearts in John. But sometimes we need to go to those difficult books, the books that we often don't understand, and we need to preach through them because they're just as inspired as the book of John. And so we need to look at Zechariah chapter 4 and understand that this is dealing with not Joshua this time. Joshua was dealt with in chapter 3. This is dealing with the civic leader, the civic leader, which is Zerubbabel. Now that name is very important. It was Zerubbabel's job not to lead the nation spiritually. It was Zerubbabel's job to lead the nation in a physical manner. What was Zerubbabel's job? Zerubbabel's job was to reconstruct the temple. That was his job. By the way, I'll say this, and I'm just saying it because this is what I feel in my heart about the Scripture in my studies of Nehemiah and Ezra and, uh, of course, Zechariah. 
is that Zerubbabel's job was more important than Nehemiah's job. Now, we put a lot of emphasis on Nehemiah. Uh, we, we, we do because Nehemiah, of course, he, he built the walls. And man, there's a lot of messages about the building the walls. And I love Nehemiah. It's one of my favorite books. But when you understand the walls, and I understand they were there to construct, to protect uh, the, the, the Jerusalem that Nehemiah loved. and that they, But you understand this. What would be more important than reconstructing the house of the Lord? This is where they met God. This is where the presence of God would be, the temple. This was not Solomon's temple that was significant and grand and ornate. This was the temple that is mentioned in Ezra chapter 3, and we'll get to that. In this passage of Scripture, I want you to follow along. Let's begin in verse number 1. The Bible says, And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me. Have you ever been in a, in a deep sleep and you wake up and you're foggy? Maybe some of you like that this morning, right? You woke up and you don't even know where you're at. You ever been that deep? Listen, if you travel, we got some missionaries on the front row, the Bills. They, they know what I'm talking about. If you're in so many different places, and, and just trust me, you wake up in a hotel or wherever you're staying, and there's been times when I have woke up and asked myself, where am I at? And it's not because of what I did Saturday night. You understand what I mean. Some of you are like, I remember those days. No, 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 it ain't that. It ain't that. All right? It's because brain fog is real, right? And you're just, you're so tired in your body and your brain is not waking up and things. And, and every time I read this, when I've been studying chapter 4, it, it almost sounds like Zerubbabel is having one of those moments. Read that with me again in verse 1. And the angel that talked with me came again, waked me. So he woke me. I can see this angel kind of shaking Zerubbabel. And he said, as a man that is waked out of his sleep. There's like an extra emphasis on this. Zerubbabel uh, or, or Zechariah could have just put, yeah, he woke me out of my sleep. That's not what he said. He waked me as a man. So he's waking up. And, and verse number 2 says, And he said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick of all, or, uh, all of gold. Now, now, just stay with me here. Think about all the, the pieces that is in this text. A candlestick, all of gold, a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof. Now, we have a picture, so I want to give you that picture of what I just read in chapter, uh, in chapter 4 and verse 2. Look up here. I wish it was a little bigger, but it's not. I just grabbed this at the very last moment. But I didn't want you to, in your mind, some of your imagination, just, you know, when you read the Bible, use your imagination in that sense. Two olive trees to the left and the right of this menorah, right? The, the candles, the, the, the uh, lampstand with the seven lamps coming off of it. And you see a bowl on top that has seven, basically, pipes, the Bible calls it, coming down to the candlestick. And so these are, if you look, they're connected to the branches, is what the Bible says. So the branches have the pipes that are connected to the bowl, which is serving as a reservoir of oil. These are olive trees. And they're, they're connected to a lampstand. Now, you, you may look at this picture and you may say, Pastor, where in the world are you going? What in the world does this have to do with me? I'm looking at a candlestick. I'm looking at a bowl. I'm looking at two trees. Big deal. This guy had a vision and this is what he sees. How in the world would that apply to me? Now, notice what the Bible says in verse 3. And two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, the other upon the left side thereof. And so I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? So even Zechariah did not quite understand what he is actually seeing. Verse 5. Then the angel talked with me, answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord, I don't understand. Verse 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying... Now, here's what it is. He does not go into the description of, of what things mean yet. 
He says, this is what it means. This is the application of your vision. Notice, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. That is the application of this vision. He's saying, Zerubbabel, I am showing you, Zechariah, I'm showing you the vision that I have for you is that this is what you have been trying to do the whole time. Y'all have been constructing this temple. You've been trying to do a spiritual work and you need my power. He said, it's not by your might, it's not by your power, it's through my spirit, it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. He's trying to show Zerubbabel at that time. He also is saying, this is how I'm going to use Israel in the day of the Lord, in the time of the millennial. So it's a prophetic word, we understand that. But it's also a word for Zerubbabel at that very moment. Now stay tuned. It is also a word for you and I today. See, I said earlier, not all the Bible was written to me as far as, um, uh, you know, we, we know that there's parts of the Bible that we cannot put the church in Israel nor Israel in the church. We understand that, that a lot of things may apply and we can take it out of context. But you understand this, it may have not been written to me, but it was sure written for me. So we can take what the Lord said to Zerubbabel and, or to Zechariah in this vision and we can apply it to what we need today. I want to preach just a few moments this morning on this. Avoiding spiritual burnout. The job of the priest in the temple was to keep the candle. Now this is, this is very similar. That lampstand that you've seen in that picture a moment ago uh, was very similar to the one that would be found in the temple. And the tedious job of the priest, stay with me, the tedious job of the priest was to keep the fire burning, to keep the candle lit. The candle was to never go out. It represented the light to the nations. Anytime in Scripture that you see the light, it is a good thing. It's a light represents God. It represents the gospel. And I'll, I'll get to that in just a moment. So the, 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 the uh, uh, priests were to keep the lamps clean. They were to keep the wick trimmed. They were to uh, uh, keep the uh, oil inside the olive oil, which was very pure. They were to keep it lit so the fire would never go out. They were to keep the, the rods and the, the soot, and they would take all of that filth and that grime and that dirt, and they would clean it to make sure the candles in the temple never went out. Well, in the vision, there is no priest that is keeping the candle lit. This is a little different than the temple. Matter of fact, you say, Pastor, what's different about this candle? Well, in this candle, the bowl is on top of it. So there, there was no bowl on top of the candle in the temple. Secondly, uh, there's seven pipes to each lamp. And then thirdly, there's two olive trees. So none of that would have been in the temple. The menorah would have been in the temple. But, but the other stuff would not be. And so there's a, there's a significant to this continual supply of oil to the lamps. The lampstand signifies the important task that God gives to His people to be a light to the nations, to reveal God, the truth of God's Word to those that walk in darkness. The oil, it flows a continual abundant supply to the lamps that, that can go on burning. It symbolizes the Holy Spirit of God. And then there's two olive trees that represent the priestly and the kingly, uh, the kingly offices in Israel. And with those two branches, they're, they're, I believe the, representa uh, the representation of that is both Joshua on the left hand and Zerubbabel on the right hand, uh, both kings and priests, and, and one being uh, a priest, uh, Joshua, and then, of course, the other being a direct descendant from David, and uh, David, of course, being uh, uh, the descendant, or rather Zerubbabel being the descendant of David. So the Lord encourages Zerubbabel. In chapter 4, I want you to go with me to verse number 7. Notice what he says. Who art thou, O great mountain? 
Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings and crying grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hand of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hand shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. So the Lord encourages Zerubbabel by assuring him that in spite of according to verse 7, of the mountain that is in front of him, in in rebuilding the temple, he would finish the task. He said in verse number 9, what you have laid the foundation, he said of the house, his hands shall also finish it. I put in big words right above that verse, what God starts, he finishes. Amen. So God started it, he finishes it. And, And I believe that's an encouraging word, Uh, from the angel of the Lord to his people. Now, if you were to go to Ezra chapter, uh, look look with me in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 10. Just read this verse with me in verse 10. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet or the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel with seven, those seven, uh, with those seven, the are eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole world. Earth. So under God's perfect providence, the seven eyes of the Lord, we talked about that in chapter 3, he, he sees everything, he notices that this project, it's a very important project, and he looks at it, he notices it, that it's very important, and that he's watching it, and that it will be completed in the day of Zerubbabel. Now with that overview of the description of the lampstand, the two olive trees and the bowl and, the, and the, uh, uh, the, the rods or the pipes that go to it, a continual flow. I want to just give you some thoughts that the Lord laid upon my heart about this text in avoiding spiritual burnout. The first thing that I want us to understand in our text is this, to prevent spiritual burnout, see the importance of God's work. In order to prevent spiritual burnout, we must see the importance of God's work. See, we tend to burn out when we lose motivation. And let me say this, when we lose motivation, we lose perspective. And on the importance of the work of God and and what God has called us to do, that work involves being God's lampstand in a very dark world. Listen, we are living in some very dark days. I mean, you know, I'm I'm just saying this. I don't know if they've been the darkest days in the history of the world, but they're, they're very dark, friend. It doesn't take long for you to pop the news on and watch how dark it really is. And Paul said the importance of that, of us being a lampstand in a dark world where we are to be the light, I want to show you what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. If you, if you want to turn over there, you can. These are very important verses. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. Look what Paul told this church at Corinth, that we are to be the light of the gospel. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse number 2, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now notice what he says in verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are what? Lost. They're hid to their, their, that are lost. Then it says in verse 4, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now does that sound important to you that we should be light? How in the world would the world that is dark, I mean, when, when we talk about being dark, I'm talking about their eyes are blinded. They cannot see their need for Christ. How in the world, if our hot gospel be hid, if our lamp is out, if our oil is not flowing, how in the world is the, is the world going to see Jesus and turn to Christ? He says this in verse number uh, 5. He said, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I hope that you see this morning the importance of us to have a continual flowing from the Spirit of God so that our light will not go out. Our candle will stay lit 
Many people are saying that they're burnt out and they're done and they're throwing in the towel and they're giving up. My friend, we must see the importance of God's work. This is no insignificant task. This is Now, there are some negative things about the task. There are some negative things in chapter 4 that it looked like Zerubbabel was up against a wall. Matter of fact, the Bible describes it as a mountain. I want you to notice that we must be aware of seeming negatives in God's work. God's work seems beset with problems. Look at verse 7 again of of Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 7. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? So in this vision, he sees Zerubbabel, who is the civic leader. He is the one that is constructing the temple. Don't miss this. He's constructing the temple And and in this vision, he sees a mountain, a gigantic mountain in front of Zerubbabel. Let me tell you something. I don't care who you are. If you're standing in front of a mountain, there is absolutely nothing you can do. In order to get to the other side, you must climb the mountain. You can't go through the mountain. There's none of us more powerful than that. And in this vision... Zerubbabel is in front of a mountain. That is a problem. You say, why? Because he's supposed to be constructing the temple. But instead, there is a mountain of rubble. There's a mountain of problems. There's a mountain of discouragement. Can I say this morning that some of you may be standing right in front of a mountain today. You may need a miracle from God. You may need something, and you're standing in front of a mountain. And notice what says in verse number 7. He says, uh, and thou shalt become a plain. Well, there's a big difference between a mountain and a plain. A plain is flat. A plain you can see for miles. A plain you can grab a, a, a scope or a binoculars and you can look through there and you can see on the other side. A mountain you can't see. You're just standing there in awe of this awesome mountain, but it's a problem. Because when you're trying to construct something and there's a mountain there, you need somebody's help. And he said, I'm going to come in and I'm going to take this mountain and I'm going to make it a plain. And then he says something at the end of verse 7. He says, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings and crying. Here's what he's shouting and crying. Grace, grace unto it. All that we accomplish for the Lord is by God's grace. Can I get an amen? It's the grace of God. So he sees this problem. You encounter a mountain full of problems. Listen, let me tell you something. Anytime you're trying to accomplish the work of God, there are going to be some mountains. We got a few mountains in our church right now. Right now, we need God to do something. Right now, we are up against time to get a nice parking lot out here we got, we're on a time frame. We've been talking about a little bit about the church. But let me tell you something. That's not just going to happen. we got to pay for that mountain. Now, I don't know about if you know anything about this, but, but in order to construct a parking lot, you just can't hire some dump trucks and dump gravel, apparently. <laughs> we did that. We needed it at the time. But the city said, no, we don't like that. So guess what we got to do? We got to take all that up and we got to put a nice parking lot, which we wanted to, and that's what we were going to do. But now it's in their time and not ours. So guess what? We have a mountain in front of us and that mountain is standing there. It's just, we're gazing at it and we need God to take that mountain and make it a plane. Guess what else we need? We need space. We have two full services. Sometimes they're so full. Right now we got about 20 in an overflow room watching. Why? Because sometimes it's hard to even sit with your family in an auditorium like this. Let me tell you something. That's a mountain. Hey, there's other mountains. We've got an educational campus down there where there's kids at right now and teenagers and other people. Spanish are down there right now. Guess what? We need to to redo the education campus to make it a facility for young people. You say, what is that? That's a mountain. You know who's bigger than the mountain? God is bigger than the mountain. You know who owns the cattle on a thousand hill? God does. What's a few hundred thousand dollars? What's a few million dollars compared to a mighty God? And often God looks at that mountain, or we look at that mountain, and we get discouraged but God looks at that mountain and says, man, I can, I can take care of that. Oh, I don't know what it is in your life, but I know any time you're trying to do something for the Lord, there will be a mountain. And Zechariah sees this mountain standing before Zerubbabel. I, I said, number one, that God's work seems beset with problems, but number two would be God's work seems incredibly slow in its progress. Sometimes it just seems like 
God, are you even moving? I mean, this is, listen, at this time, Zerubbabel had already been trying to construct the temple for 20 years. Now, it was four more years later before the temple was even complete. 20 years Zerubbabel had been trying. Let me say something. When God is doing something, often it seems like you're just, you're moving at a snail's pace. But let me just say, God does a lot of his greatest work in the slowest of times. When God came to Abraham in Genesis 12, just stay with me, listen. When God came to Abraham in Genesis 12 and said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of nations. Can you see Abraham when God told him, hey, out of your seed is going to be multitudes and multitudes. I'm going to bless it. Whoever blesses you, I'm going to bless. And whoever curses you, I'm going to curse. And that's a great, great covenant. But you understand, if God would have told me that, guess what I'd done? I would have went and started making cribs. God's making me a great nation, so we better get ready. Let's go make some cribs, right? And let's construct some, some things because we're going to have children. And Sarah, you need to start making some baby clothes, and, and, and we need to get stuff ready. You know how long it was after Genesis 12 before it was? Isaac, 25 years. 25 years from the time that God looked at Abraham and said, I'm going to make you a great nation to the first child. 25 years. That's a long time in order to see the progress. But eventually, of course, we know Abraham was a great nation. There was a great nation that came out of that. Jacob, he spent 20 years in Laban, working uh, for Laban, rather, and he, in the land of Canaan. A small group of people uh, moved to Egypt and were therefore enslaved in Egypt, the Israelites, for 400 years. And then 40 years of wilderness when they were delivered from Egypt, 40 years. And then uh, later, there was 400 years of silence. There was 70 years of a Babylonian captivity. You understand, what God does, He often does in a good while. Sometimes we want that mountain done right away. We want it obliterated right away. And that's exactly uh, our own will. But often God does not use our timetable. He does not use our circumstances. And if you're to commit yourself to building God's church, if you're committing yourself to building God's work, be prepared for the long haul. Amen. Be prepared for the long haul. Listen, pastors, when they go to churches and they take a church or they start a church, Often they get discouraged before God ever sends the harvest. You know what the worst year in a lot of men that I've talked to in church planning and missions work? The fifth year. The fifth year, not the first year. Not the second year. Not the third year. You know what my fifth year was? COVID. It's a difficult year. And sometimes guys will say, you know what, I'm done. I don't see the church growing like it should. I don't see, I'm not reaping the harvest. I'm not reaping the harvest like, it, like God said he would. No, 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 hold on a second. You haven't been there long enough. We want instant. We want instant success. We want instant church growth. We want instant soul saved. We want instant things. How would you like to be Noah building an ark? And the only converts that you had out of 100 plus years is eight people. That's a, that's a, how about Jeremiah preaching and preaching uh, into Israel and no converts? But I guess we would look at him according to statistics and we would look at them and say, they are failures. In today's world, we would look at Jeremiah and we would look at Noah and we would say, they are failures. But you know what? In God's eyes, guess what? Faithful. Faithful. Let's not get discouraged. Let's not come off the field. Let's not, let's not throw in the towel. Let's not say, well, pastor, this just isn't working the way that I thought it would. Listen, when we commit to the work of God in building God's church, be prepared for the long haul. Hey, let's not give in. Let's not throw in the towel. God's work often seems slow. Let me say this. God's work often seems insignificant. Look at the text. Now, I don't have time to go to Ezra chapter 3, but in Ezra 3, same people, Joshua and Zerubbabel, are constructing the temple, and it's done. We're, in a, we're, in a, we're fast forward four years. It's done. And they're having a celebration. They're praising the Lord. They're singing. They're, 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 they're blowing trumpets and every instrument you can possibly imagine. And some are shouting for joy. Now, listen. Some are shouting for joy. But there's a group of the older crowd, 
that is weeping. Why are they weeping? Because they were alive when they saw the construction of Solomon's temple. And here's what they started doing. Church, don't miss this. They started comparing the second temple to the first. And they looked at that and they weeped because it's not as big. They weeped because it wasn't as pretty. They weeped, and the other crowd who never saw the first temple, they were shouting, saying, we finally got it done. We finally got it done. Hey, praise the Lord, it's done. While the older generation was saying, it ain't as good. Now notice what, in this vision, look at verse 10. For for who hath despised? Notice this phrase, the day of small things. Isn't that interesting? Who has despised small things? Let me say this. Some were actually despising what God had done and they were looking at it saying that's not, that's not as big. That's not as significant. Let me say this, church. No matter what you do for God on this property through the week or today or whatever, if you're doing it for God, it is significant. The gospel does not start in here. The gospel starts in the parking lot. Our parking lot guys on Sunday, they get here early, and they're parking people. And, man, we're going to work on that, especially when we get this new uh, parking lot next year. And we're going to work on that and getting people have space, and it's going to be great. But you understand this, where people park and how they're greeted and how they're looked at and where their experience in the parking lot, that is a big deal because if they have a bad experience before they ever get in here, we've done lost them. You understand, your, your job as a greeter is not just to open a door. Not just a smile at somebody. Hey, it is to make someone feel special and loved and wanted. Hey, your job uh, working here and teaching in a small group or teaching a children's class or watching a baby in a nursery, hey, that's no small task. That's a big deal. Why? Because a mom and a dad gets to sit in an auditorium and they get to hear the Word of God while someone is laboring and working and watching a nursery. Listen to me. There is no insignificant task with God. Sometimes we look and we say, well, pastor, he's the most important man at the church. He's the one that brings the word. Let me tell you something. Listen, there's no levels of of respecter of persons at this church. I realize that I have a call on my life to preach the gospel and to preach the word. But friend, let me tell you, you are just as important as I am to the body of Christ. You have no insignificant task and that's exactly what he's saying in verse number 10 he's saying that 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 what is the difference does it make this is not a small task this is the temple of the lord this is where i'm going to meet with you this is where uh, you're going to bring offerings often we get so caught up in the grandeur of things this doesn't i don't think this is as good listen it don't matter if we're having church under a tree we are so spoiled in America today that we think we've got to have all the bells and whistles and the nice buildings. and all. Listen, church, let's get over the outer and let's start focusing on the inner. There is no small task when it comes to God. We must keep in mind the, the sure positives of the work. The sure positive is God works. He focuses in His delight. Here's what God is saying. Please, just hang on these last few minutes. God is saying to Zerubbabel and to us that small is great if God's eye is upon it. That little child this morning that came that probably hasn't, I don't know, but he maybe or she hasn't heard, I love you this week. We have special needs children in the services down there that that need to hear Christ loves them and the church loves them and they're just as accepted as any other kid. How dare we look at situations and say, that's a small thing. God's work is in the eye. And the Bible says, he even talks about the eyes of the Lord in verse 10. He says these seven eyes, we read about that in chapter 3. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro. You know what that tells me? He sees everything. So that that teacher in that little small group there with a bunch of first graders who's running around and you think, God, what am I doing, Lord? These kids are certainly not retaining. Hold, Hold on a second. The eyes of the Lord sees you serving. Them babies screaming. You get frustrated and you think, oh, what am I doing this for? Why am I doing this for? 
I'll tell you why. We're doing it for our Savior. And when your lamp's about to go out and you start looking at self and you start thinking, pity old me and poor old me and I just, I, look at me, I need something bigger. No, you need to get your heart right. Your lamp's about to go out. Amen, that's good preaching. Even if I am doing it. We need to get our heart right when we look. I was invited to a church recently. Listen, I get to preach in some awesome venues. I do. Last night was one of the coolest venues I've ever been to. It was an outdoorsman event. They decorated. There was hundreds of men there. They had all kinds of stuff there. Man, it was great worship. It was awesome. If you didn't want to preach in that venue, you're crazy. It was great. They were ready. They were heartfelt. It was wonderful. We had six men saved. I've preached in some auditoriums with five and 6,000 people. What a great responsibility, Brother Aaron. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. Please understand, I don't take it lightly, nor am I up here boasting. It is great what God has opened up through the years. But I have preached in churches to 20 people, 10, handful, nothing going on, dead. And you know what? Sometimes we, as a preacher, look at that and say, oh, I know what church I'm going to. There ain't nobody there, so I'm just going to I'll wing it. Who cares? If a preacher would adjust his message from 5,000 to 15 people, because of the size of the crowd, his light's going out. If a, if a singer, we had a group last week, I enjoyed the Irwins. If a group would say, no, nah, that's not big enough, that's not big enough, they're not going to give us enough money, they're not going to, I understand you've got to feed your families, you've got to do those things, but understand this. When you won't minister to a small church because of the insignificance, you've got a heart problem. Nobody here, church, pay attention. Nobody here is insignificant to God. You matter. You say, Pastor, I'm a nobody. No, you're somebody that God loves. We should not let our light, the fire, go out. God's work, it's, it's focus in His delight. He gets delight when we serve. He gets delight when we serve the Lord. God's work is worldwide. The Bible says in verse 14 that, that then he said, and listen to this church in verse 14, he said, these are the two anointed ones. Now these are the anointed ones. The word anointed means sons of oil. So these are the anointed ones, which is, which is uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua. These are the anointed ones that stand by the Lord. Notice this, church, don't miss this. Who is standing with these anointed ones? The Lord is. Isn't that great? We're not in this thing alone. The Lord is standing. I just thought I'd throw that in for free. And notice the last phrase, of the whole earth. So here's the importance of that. God's work has no ends. Y'all get that? There's no boundaries to the God's work. Hey, Jacob, just a moment ago, saying there, there, is, no, uh, there is no moment, there is no uh, boundary, there's no limit to the grace of God. That's the, the gist of the song. There, there's, no, uh, there's no limit to the grace of God. You understand, listen, there's no limit to His power. He's over the whole earth. Here's the message. Notice, we're talking about spiritual burnout. People's fire's about to go out. To prevent spiritual burnout, depend on the continual supply of the Spirit of God. Go back to that picture real quick, if you would, fellas. I know I threw you on the spot. This is no ordinary lampstand. Everybody fixate your eyes right there. There's no ordinary lampstand. That's not just a lamp standing there that depends on human effort like it did in the temple. This lampstand is relying on the two trees. You see the, you see the uh, uh, pipes. They're, they're going directly from the trees, the source, the branches, right into the lampstand. And that bowl, that reservoir, holds that pure olive oil. Those lamps are not going out. It is, it is, it is tapped into the source, which is the trees, the olive trees. You understand, it has a continual supply of oil. Oil in the 
Word of God represents the Holy Spirit. If we go back to verse number 6, Zechariah 4, 6, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. We must ask God to reopen to us the supply of His Spirit. According to verse 6, it refers to human energy. Notice, again, look at verse 6 with me. This is really the, I guess you could say, the key verse of our text. He uses two forms of power. Listen, the first one, not by what? My translation says might. That is a, that is a collective power. Our might, we could say our might. A collective power, but notice he says the second term, not by might, nor by what? Power. That's an individual. So we can sometimes say, look at us, man. Look at our church. Wow. We can't even get everybody into one service. We've got such and such. Man, look how mighty we are. You think about that term, mighty armies. Mighty voices, mighty. It's always a plural. It's a mighty thing because we're together. We make a big place. He said, I don't care how many people you got. I don't care how many strong men you think you have. It's not by might. And it's not by power. You thinking that you are somebody. You can get up here and you can preach a message in your own power. And guess what? If you're preaching the Word of God, the Bible, it won't return void. God will bless the Word if it goes forth, whether you're in the flesh or the Spirit. But can you imagine if you tapped into the Spirit of God while you're preaching the Word of God that has power? Could you imagine what God would do with a man that was anointed in the power of the, God, of the Spirit of God versus a man who's preaching in the energy of the flesh? Both can be used, but one will be used greater. Not by might. It's not by power, but it is by His Spirit. The other way to work for God is His Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This does not imply that there's no work for you. Oh, there's plenty of work. I heard about a man who, he was a woodsman, old-fashioned. He worked in the woods. He was strong. This man one day walked into a, hardware store in his local town and he walked in and he seen a bunch of chainsaws hanging on the man them things were brand new and he looked at those chainsaws and he um, he said man I want to get one of those it'll make my job a little easier never seen one before so he grabbed the biggest chainsaw he could he took it to the counter and the guy looked at it and said man this is great he bought the chainsaw goes out a few days later the man comes in and he's mad and he's frustrated he puts the chainsaw on the counter, and he says, I want my money back. And the owner of the hardware said, well, what's wrong with it? He said, well, it ain't working. It won't do anything. He said, I used to chop ten trees down with an axe every day. He said, I can't even get one now. So the owner of the hardware said, well, there's something wrong with it. We'll be sure to give you your money back. So he, he takes the chainsaw. He looks at it. He's looking at it. He looks at the chain. He looks at the blades. He looks at, at everything, making sure there's oil in it, making sure there's some fuel in it. And, Finally, he just primes it a little bit, and he pulls the cord, and the thing fires up. That's a pretty good chainsaw. That sounds like a dead chainsaw, actually. It's like a weed eater. It's about to die. Anyway, he jumped back when he heard that, and he said, What is that noise? The whole time that man had been trying to cut trees down, didn't know how to turn a chainsaw. Some of us, we try to do big things for God. And we're not even utilizing His power. You're getting nothing accomplished. I appreciate the stuff that some of you do in this church. You will never know what I appreciate. There's some of you that get so easily offended. You do it for me or you do it for somebody. Or maybe you just do it so people will see you. You know what that is? You're trying to cut a tree down with a dead chainsaw. That's why... A year from now, you ain't going to be doing what you're doing. Six months from now, 
I get a text. There's nobody. Everybody's coward to, to call. You ain't going to call, text, or tell somebody else, I can't do it anymore. I'm tired, frustrated. Nobody. I, I, you know, it, what's, what would be, uh, what if I just text you and said, I don't want to do this anymore? I don't feel like preaching Sunday. I feel like singing. You know, it's, it's amazing to me the pastor don't get that privilege. That would be cool to do. I just don't want to do it anymore. Just, you know, just seem like people just sit there and stare at me. You know, can't get, in, can't get a holy grunt out of anybody. I don't know which service is more lively. I, I just don't know. I, you know, it just seems like people sit there and stare. I mean, listen, if you saw what I see up here, some of you look like Kalaja, the wooden Indian. The whole service, no smile, no nothing. I'm like checking a heart rate, like check on him. So we, we can't go by your reaction. If I got frustrated every time we did something wrong, every time somebody didn't show up that said they would show up, Anytime something bad happened and I got frustrated and I sent a, a message to our deacons or to, to, to Jesse or Zach or Jacob or somebody, and I said, hey, guys, hey, man, I'm just telling you, I'm hanging it up for a while. Y'all figure it out. Listen, I understand sometimes circumstances do come, and you have to, maybe health. But when it's your fire, you know what you need to do? Everybody look at me. Get your heart right. You need to go back to those channels, those pipes, they're clogged up. I don't care how long you've been saved. That doesn't impress me at all. You say, Pastor, I've been saved a long time. Good. Why are you acting that way? It's good preaching on Sunday morning. Why are you acting that way? Why, why are you so... Listen, church, look at me. Don't come to me and say, Pastor, Jesus is coming back soon, and then we can't find you for three weeks. I believe what's happening in Israel, Jesus is coming. Bye. If we actually believe Jesus was coming, then why wouldn't we be in church? Something ain't right with your theology, because my theology, according to the Scripture, should, it should be measuring up. We should, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. It doesn't talk about the lake. It's not talking about camping. It's talking about assembling together. It's a good place for you to get your oil filled. Amen, pastor. It's a good place. What does oil represent? It represents the oil of the Spirit of God. A woman came to D.L. Moody. She asked him, Why do you often talk about the need for being filled with the Spirit? You always are stressing the need to be filled again and again. Why are you doing this? Isn't it once enough? And D.L. Moody looked at her and said, I leak. I often, as a human, leak. I need a continual feeling. Sometimes the flesh gets involved. Sometimes I'm in the flesh and I sin and I, I, I grieve the Spirit of God. I need to remind myself there needs to be a continual feeling, a feeling of the Spirit of God, of God's supply. We must allow God's supply to benefit others. Here's what happens. When we are filled with the Spirit of God and we use the Spirit of God, that oil affects those that are around us. Does it not? the ministry that we're in, those kids, let me say this, and I'm through. Those kids or those people that you're teaching or leading, they can tell when you're doing it in the flesh. Oh, you might can fool it for a little while. But your frustration, there was somebody here when I first got here for just a little bit, but I could tell they didn't want to be here. A pastor has some intuition when you don't want to be here. He knows. That's fine. I'm not going to try to talk you into staying. That's a bad deal. 
it hurts my heart. It breaks my heart when someone ever leaves the church, and especially when they just disappear. But when you're not here, when you're not here, but you're here, that hurts the church. Like you're here. I'm here. I'd rather you not be here if you're like that. Right? I'm just being pastor to you this morning. I hope you see it. The first service didn't get that. They didn't. I don't have time. You're getting it. They choose to go to the first service. You understand, I don't care if you're here in body. We got enough bodies. I want you to be here in spirit. It, it will make this place so much sweeter. I'm glad that our Savior is so merciful. There's times, listen, church, I'm just, we're going to give an invitation. Where's Jacob? Jacob, you can come on. There's times, listen, where I don't feel like preaching. I'm just being very honest and transparent with you. Jacob can come. There's times where I, I don't feel like preaching. Like, I mean, I'll be really honest with you. This morning, my wife, my precious wife, the most beautiful woman I've ever seen, she's got the stomach bug. And so, you know, I'm woken. I got in late. I got to bed late. I wake, I wake up, and she's not there. And then, you know, so I'm thinking, Lord, I'm running on fumes and some coffee. Hallelujah. But I'll be really honest with you. If there was a day to say, you know what, I just need to stay with her, take care of her. I don't feel it, didn't get much sleep. This would have been a good day. I'm just being transparent with you. There's other times where maybe something like somebody kills your deer that you've been watching. Like last Saturday. You're like, huh, you know, I don't feel like that. There's times where you just don't feel it, right? Personal stuff. You know pastors? You know pastors deal with personal stuff too, right? You don't feel it. But guess what? My light needs to shine. I'm in the energy of the Spirit of God. So whether you feel it or not, we depend on the Lord Jesus. And guess what He does? He makes a way. Sometimes you say, Pastor, I don't feel like going to church. Then do it for me. You, can't, you say, Pastor, that sounds crazy. Do it for you. Listen, it encourages me to see you. Do it for your family. If you can't get up enough spirituality to do it for God, do it for somebody, but come because you never know when you hear that message. It may just stir something in your heart. And guess what? It's overflowing. Now, let me say this. The Spirit of God will not outpour. It will not overflow if you've got sin in your life. If you've got unconfessed sin and you're living a double life and a secret life and you're doing all this stuff, you are grieving the Spirit of God. You're not losing your salvation. You're grieving the Spirit of God. You're as effective as that wall back there. Can't get nothing done for God. Let's close our eyes and bow.